Miller. What a way to wrap the 2022 year here on Tiger Turf Talk with a live podcast from the Soccerplex in Maryland with the great Jared Minnick. Uh, talk about a truly an incredible podcast with such an incredible human being. Uh, when I talked to Jared, it was just all passion for what we are as sports field managers and trying to create the opportunities for those that don't know who we are, that really don't comprehend the significance of our industry and how critical we are to sort of the fabric of sports. And uh, I think we have a really great conversation about how we're really in the business of sports. We're not just field managers. We're not just turf people. We are in the event business. We are in the memory making business and it was just an incredible conversation with such a knowledgeable person um with his career and where he's been and developing the uh, the institute at the soccerplex has truly been a game changer not just for him but for his staff and the, the site at uh, up in maryland uh bringing in the next generation of sports field manager and what's truly incredible it's not about the young just the young people coming in it's the diverse people that are coming in from all age groups from 40 down to their 20s you know it's it's incredible uh having the opportunity to meet an apprentice and see what they have going on and uh taking a tour of truly what is a phenomenal uh complex that there's just so much going on and uh, so much ground to cover and to see what he's done and what he's been able to develop there uh while by the way being the uh care for all mls fields and making sure the standards set and we can dive into how that's been uh sort of this build up to this year to being the first official year for major league soccer fields to meet a certain standard and uh i think it's just so cool to be on the ground floor of something so incredible like that to be able to have an influence on how player safety and how the fields play uh and what was really cool about the conversation was really just there are so many different types of fields and so many different types of climates and certain teams have certain ways of combating those climates whether it's a heated field grow lights or whatever but he tries to make everyone comprehend sort of well people have different issues people have different things but everyone needs to be playing on the same field it doesn't matter where you are what resources you have and really just how all of it is just i mean it's just incredible and i had an absolute blast and it was such an honor to be able to visit um and be able to talk with him about everything that he has going on and uh, really there's no other way i wanted to end 2022 when it comes to this podcast and to be lucky enough to have the opportunity to go up uh and become a real friend uh and just truly everything that we <laughs> we we talked about uh it shows what is so incredible about this industry and truly why i love doing this podcast and being able to voice those uh incredible professionals across this industry and i, I truly can't thank everyone enough uh for an incredible 2022 um it's been an absolute blast uh, I'm very excited for 2023, starting off the year with an incredible project that uh, we've been working on, and we're really excited to announce here in the coming weeks. Um, but Jared, I can't thank you enough for everything that uh, you've done, and it truly is incredible and inspiring to have someone so close nearby to here in Oaksville, and uh, I'm excited for the future and working with you on so many different things uh, for our program and anything that we can do for you, please just let us know. Um, 
again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. All right, welcome to the 105th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. We are here at the Maryland Soccerplex uh, with the director of the Sports Turf Institute at the Maryland Soccerplex, also the field surface consultant for Major League Soccer, and the principal for the Natural Grass Advisor Group, Mr. Jared Menick. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm superb. How are you doing today? Thank you for having us. I'm really excited to be here. It's been incredible to get a tour of the facility and everything that's going on, um, but with everything, obviously, you have so much going on in one place. You have three different places that you're working on. So what has it been like sort of being a part of the Soccerplex and seeing it grow from when you first started here till now? Oh, God, that's a, that's a really good question to start with. That's, that's a, that, that teed me up. I can talk for about three hours. Nah. That. How's that? Right? <laughs> that works for me. It's amazing to see um, to, to, or to think about how this facility has changed so much from when I started, I guess, in 2009, uh, originally when I was here. Um, uh, before I came back, I, I took a seven-year hiatus uh, between, between my stints here. Um, the way a park, because this is a soccer facility, but this is a park, and the way this park has grown, the way these fields have matured, uh, the way sports have changed, the way youth sports have evolved, especially in the Mid-Atlantic uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area, youth sports has evolved a lot. Soccer was a big deal. Uh, there was a little bit of lacrosse in 2009. Now uh, one of our biggest revenue sources is lacrosse, and it is continuing to grow. Uh, we have a collegiate rugby event this next year for the first time ever. Um, I think 250 collegiate rugby teams are going to be here. So the thing, the evolution of the park, the evolution of the fields, the evolution of sport has really been fascinating to see. Um, does that make me sound old? No, no, no. I mean, we were talking about it earlier with everything. I mean, the, the way sports have changed and how... I mean, I mean, ahead of the curve when this was constructed back in 2000, like you said, the way that they built it is just incredible. And to see what you've done, we talked about some of your cultural practices that you're doing, obviously, when it comes to traffic and the amount of hours and the amount of time. Uh, could you sort of give us the little take that you were talking about earlier about how we need to be our own best advocate when it comes to if we want to get more, we need to be able to provide more, whether that's events, other sure. things like that. that would, I mean, that's in my eyes, that's how as an industry, we need to start looking at everything because we're not going to avoid those concerts. We're not going to avoid the insane amount of traffic that everyone is expecting of us. Could you sort of give your take on that and how it can really change what this industry does and where we're moving towards? Uh, that's a great, it's another good question. I mean, that really focuses on what we call grass can take more. And that's really about, and it's really what we've been doing here at this facility since 2009. It's really what it's what field managers are doing across MLS, especially uh, as opposed to the other leagues. But uh, there's a lot of field managers in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball that should be uh, greatly commended for the just insane number of events that they manage in a, on a yearly basis as well. Um, you know, fields get, or at least the way I feel about it and the way – most business models are for most facilities and teams is that fields get built to play on fields don't get built to protect 
fields don't get built to look at. Fields get, get fields get built to play on. Um, that's natural and synthetic both, or that's na- yeah, natural and synthetic both. I mean, it's a, you don't spend that money to not invest and and, and have fields sitting idle. Um, and really, what really kind of the whole the whole approach to to what we do is we try to break it down to say, okay, what are our high traffic areas? Now we're using we're using a, a, a it's considered an advanced. Uh, approach using data and technology. Uh, we don't feel like it's that advanced at this point. We've been doing it for six years um, of really field surface testing, understanding traffic patterns, uh, tracking the traffic pattern itself when it comes to AI sensors, um, uh, using drone technology to be able to use NDVI to track traffic or plant stress. There's just so much technology that's working in our favor to track those those high traffic areas. Then we maintain those high traffic areas differently. Uh, if you're on an airplane and you take off out of an, out of an airport and you look down, uh, you see an athletic field, all the athletic fields around, you see the middles are worn or the goal mouth closest to the parking lot. I mean, I've had the privilege to work in 17 countries. It doesn't matter what language they speak or what age the players are. The goal mouth closest to the parking lot or the goal mouth closest to the to the locker room is the is the area or the the home team dugout. It's the same in every situation. The high traffic area. Um, so that's the area that's failing. That doesn't mean the whole field is failing. So the way we kind of prescribe our maintenance or the way we really look at it is we need to maintain those areas differently than we do the rest of the field. Whether it's extra airification, whether it's you know, extra decompaction, if it's uh, lightweight mowing equipment, pedestrian sprayers, the different things that we do uh, here at this facility to limit the amount of damage that we cause culturally versus allowing the players to do the damage, uh, we spend a lot of time on that. And it's really, it pays off. I mean, we, we host well over 500 matches a field per year. Um, you know, well over a thousand hours of, of events. I mean, Bermuda grass has allowed us to go even higher. Um, this year in 20, I guess we're still technically in 2022 <laughs> as we talk, but let's say this year and now the new year in 2023, we're going to, we're going to beat that by another 10 to 15%. Um, question I love is how much is too much? Because there's a lot of, a lot of people that like to put limits on the number of hours or the number of events that a grass field can actually take. I don't know how much a grass field can take. And it's my job. It's my business. I do it every single day. And I've been doing it for, for many years and, and working with field managers and being a field manager. I still don't know because I've still never put all of the pieces of the puzzle together. I've never been able to utilize all the technology, all have all of the have the best soil structure, have the best grass type. You got to get those pieces of the puzzle completely put together to have this instruct uh, indestructible type field. The sky's still the limit. So I, I love, I love and, and loathe that question at the same time. Well, how much can a grass field really take? It's a hell of a lot. Pardon my French. And it's, ah, you can do it, say whatever you it's, want. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot more than we think it is. And it's a lot more than traditional thinking would tell us that it is. And it's a lot more that our traditional institutions tell us that it is. Uh, we don't, we, we disprove it all the time. 
Um, there's field managers around this country and around the world that disprove it all the time. And my hat goes off to them because they are fantastic and thank goodness for what they do. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it, it, the viewpoint of that, of trying to comprehend what it can and can't. And it's like you said, it's, there's no true answer. And I, and like you, like you've been talking about the science-based fact of it is, is incredible. Like you don't know. Um, and then you take into account all the microclimates on your facility with, I mean, the 30 fields and probably more than that. Sorry, I wasn't paying close attention to it. 24. 24. 24. Yep. So 24 fields. I mean, we talked about the area where you have growth lights to sort of combat the issue of shade on that one field. And there's just, there's so many things here on the soccer plex that you have taken into account. And it's incredible to see what you've done. And now take that to a whole different climate. And they have to figure out their structure and the soil that works for them and all the all the different aspects that I I love about our industry and I love about the science and turf grass that no one else knows about. And we're figuring it out every day. We're learning new things every single day. And that's, that's science. That's discovery. That's human nature, mm -hmm. you know, creating new ideas. That's in, That's what innovation is about. Um, but yeah, we definitely get challenged here with grade changes and elevation changes from field to field from with shade shade issues on some fields you don't think you think oh you don't have a stadium you don't have shade problems well we have a park with a whole lot of trees and we deal with some pretty significant shade problems now i would take my shade problems over what <laughs> what gage deals with at lafc or casey deals with his sporting kansas city or yeah. what mitch deals you know some of these mls venues that where where the roof is is the the stadium construction requires a roof to actually cover the stands yeah um who came up with that <laughs> well, it's about fan. It's about making money, the fan, the fan experience, experience. Yep. and the more the better experience the fans have, the more money the clubs make, and the more. But you see it. it it's um, when that rule or with when, when that became mandatory in MLS. Mm -hmm. What also became mandatory was the was to to say uh, the club had to buy the number of grow lights needed based on the to shade study the shade area so there was a, there was a trade off we need a bigger roof but you can also have your grow lights and that kind of investment makes grass grow i mean the guys with grow lights are running them down the middle of the field as well because they're trying to get the center of their field to recover while you know they've become a better tool than just dealing with shade absolutely um, so it's um sometimes it's a necessary evil because it is a fan if the fan doesn't pay the money or the television rights holder doesn't pay, you know, if Apple doesn't doesn't purchase the new MLS rights for $250 billion or whatever they did, then we're not necessarily going to be able to afford the staff or the resources that we need. So mm -hmm. we need fans and, and, and TV companies to be happy. And it's um, that, that keeps us all in job because we – a lot of times it gets lost that we're in the entertainment business. We're not in the grass growing business. We're in the entertainment business. doesn't matter if we're at Soccerplex or if we're in a stadium. It's about the entertainment, number one. Now, in a, in a public park, it's a little bit different. Now, we're not a public park here. We're, mm -hmm. you know, we're by permit only and we're by um, – in a public park, it is a little bit different because that is a, that is a community – community resource mm -hmm. but from a standpoint of you know we need we need little kids to be excited about soccer we need middle-aged kids to be excited about soccer we need adults to be excited about soccer um 
And that's what um, our professional leagues, they need, need people to be excited about sport. And um, it, gets, it gets lost. I mean, we just, we just passed Christmas time here, and a number of field managers that I know, well, every field manager I know worked on Christmas. Yeah. And most every field manager I know didn't complain about it because that's the business we're in. Sure beats having a real job. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine having a real job? Cubicle. Yeah. You know, stuck in the no corner. Way. No just, way. Yeah. The, people don't know who you are half the time when you have a real job. You know, you're just yep. a number to them. So that's another reason I'm so passionate about this industry. And oh, it's the best. Yeah. It's yeah, the best. For sure. Um, with everything, one of the big things you and I have already talked about today is sort of the visibility of our industry um, and who we are as people. And like I said, we're going to be mainly representing it the conference in a couple of weeks. The Institute here is incredible. I met one of the apprentices, everything. Where did that come from and how did the, all of it sort of come about? We have talked to John actually about you and everything when it comes to everything that you're building here that goes along with managing such an incredible complex, you know, bringing in those apprentices and showing them the ropes and allowing them to have firsthand knowledge of what the industry is while actually understanding how we maintain playing services. Where did the idea come from? How did it all come about? And really just what has been your favorite part about the Institute that you're managing? Oh, it's, uh, it, it really came out of need or, or, uh, yeah, I guess need is the best, is the best descriptor. Um, the number one, uh, threat to our business here at Soccerplex, uh, you know, we used to look at things like, okay, what happens if you sports, the numbers dwindle. Mm -hmm. What if, what if, um, you know, what if, you know, like football faces, you know, if, if we were a football facility and I don't know a lot of football facilities are looking at it like, you know, what if we continue to lose players because of the concussion concerns, like what is the biggest threat to our business? Um, the biggest threat to our business here currently, or at least the last three years has been the lack of staff to maintain our fields mm -hmm. because we have fields and we have demand to use the fields, but we didn't have staff to maintain the fields. Um, we could put up a job posting and get, you know, we even the director position that we posted uh, once Mitch left and, and went to, to FC Cincinnati, um, when I had to step back in, uh, we didn't receive, you know, we only received a small handful of applications for a director job that pays well in the six figures and um, is one of the higher profile jobs in the country. Uh, we have a manager job open right now that's, you know, pays well over $75,000 a year and we can't get an application um, or, or only limited applications. Um, the number of people that have, the, the, the lack of people, excuse me, but it's based, it's based on need, just like we had a need here. Every MLS team that I'm in, in, in touch with, which is you know, our entire league, is looking for staff. Um, but we have created, there's 11 new teams in the last 10 years, and there's 36 new facilities, which essentially equates out to 70 plus full-time jobs that have been created just in MLS in the last 10 years. That's huge job growth. Uh, you and I could create a, a list of 50 parks and rec departments that now have field maintenance staff that 10 years ago didn't have field maintenance staff. It's great the growth that's happening in our industry. The only thing that hasn't been growing is the number of people coming into our industry. 
So all of this institute came based on need. Um, we needed people. We had three full-time people uh, two years ago at this time. We were supposed to have 10. Uh, we had to figure out a more creative way to draw people into the industry. I'll, I'll steal a, a quote from Jonathan Knowles, at, Dr. Jonathan Knowles at, at Leicester City's Sports Turf Academy. Um, you know, this industry should be an aspirational career field, like young kids or, or older adults, anyone that's interested in sport that wants to be around the game, that wants to be close to the players, that wants to be literally on the field, you can aspire to become a sports field manager. And, and that's something that we really tried to embrace um, and really tried to uh, reach out to the sports community with, which is with an apprenticeship to say, hey, you don't have to be a trained sports field manager. They don't exist. <laughs> so let's train some. Yeah. Um, and we had, uh, I mean, I've told this story before, we had dozens and dozens of applicants for our apprenticeship positions when we were getting zero applicants, when we were actually requiring a, a degree or experience mm-hmm. in turf grass. Uh, but then when we said, hey, one, do you have an interest in, in sport? Do you love being around sport? Two, do you love being outside? Do you have passion for the environment? Um, these kinds of things that that would draw other people in. You know, Do you want to work in a living laboratory every single day? Um, we got dozens of applications, almost every single one of them in their cover letter, telling us or responding saying, wow, I didn't even know this career field, no pun intended, <laughs> career field existed and their excitement. And it was the hardest selection process I've ever been through to narrow down to four because we wanted to take them all because they were so excited about it. And I know the number of jobs that exist that need to be filled. Most pro teams can't afford to do what we do by actually hiring and training at the same time Mm -hmm. because they need somebody that knows now they need somebody already trained. Uh, That's the nice thing. We have a lower pressure situation here, uh, which is still pretty high pressure. Um, but it prepares them, hopefully, to be able, after their one year of, of apprenticeship ends, they'll be prepared to go work for another professional sports team anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, with, 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 for that matter. Something that I think with, with things like this, I mean, it's incredible, obviously. When you're talking about people who are hiring, it's hard to bring this – and it, it's – I think the biggest issue we have when it comes to professional sports and the hiring process and whatnot, and it was funny because so at the ACC championship, Danny Lazito was like, I'll hire any of four of those kids right now. <laughs> yeah. the, they're they're I'll, I'll bid against them for them. and juniors and seniors. And again, but my thing is like, when you talk about kids and what they've learned in my class and what they showed that they had learned was something that I like, it was, there was, it was the proudest moment in my career seeing the kids Great. just just knit into the grounds crew and do what they were doing and understand. And I feel like there needs to be an understanding versus like, you have to have a college degree for this versus if someone coming out of your program as an apprentice and accomplished apprentice, like that needs to be at the same level as say a two year degree or a four year degree when it comes to pay and things like that. Like there are so many incredible people in this industry that are 
well versed in what they're doing that don't have a degree that exactly. haven't that haven't gone to school who can't afford to go to school that's that's something that I think is the biggest and it's not just our industry just in the world and especially since I'm in education like seeing kids that don't have the opportunity to go to school because they can't afford it and they don't want to have to pay yep. the quarter of a million dollars when they come out in debt you know like yep. it's hard to tell a kid hey go to a four year institution and yep. go get your degree to make what you make when you come out, you know, like it's something like this needs to, I don't know. Again, when we're talking about getting a seat at the table, I don't know how to make that justification. So like when kids come to me, I'm like, there are definitely jobs out there where you can make good money when you come out of college. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But it's not like you're going to pay back college tuition in five minutes. You know, that's the hard part, you know, even doctors and whatnot, it takes them seven to eight years after, but they take an extra seven, eight years of school. school. Um, It's just, I think there's got to be a new way of looking when it comes to the people that are hiring. And I know a lot of them and they are starting to sort of get that, you know, um, what would be your thoughts on people that again, who need the, the, and like we say, many people are like, we have a labor shortage. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a labor shortage. I think it's a skilled labor shortage. That is the correct terminology. Because everyone can hire someone in like five minutes if you actually went and looked. No offense to people that are (laughs) struggling to hire people. Like, obviously, like, like you're saying, you had how many for the four apprenticeships? Like, people want to be a part of it. It's just, are we willing to take on sort of that role of being a mentor and educating? Like, there are certain groups that need people who are tenured and do well, but you still want to be having kids coming in, whether it's internships or things like that, so they can learn so you can bring them back in when they're done with whatever they're doing, whether it's apprenticeship, graduate uh, college, or even like a high school program like mine. I don't know what that looks like. Do you have any idea of what sort of could be that stepping stone? I mean, it's a great, it's a great problem to really kind of focus on because, well, I'll I'll step back. The, The first thing we've done with our job postings is eliminate the degree requirements for our job on our job postings. Um, we care about experience. We care about passion. We care about, um, you know, for our apprentices, we didn't even care about experience. We didn't care about college degree. We didn't care about, we didn't care about anything. Just convince me that you're passionate and that you're interested in sport, that you're interested, that you can handle the, the highs and lows of this job. Um, great, great question for, from one of our, our apprentices that ask of me in the, in the interview process, what's the best part about the job? And to me, the best part about the job is Mother Nature. Um, then she said, well, what's the worst part about the job? And I said, well, <laughs> the worst part of, about the job is Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah. So we've experienced that in the last week. So we've had yeah. some beautiful days and some absolutely miserable days. But it's um, we, we've eliminated that requirement, um, one, to stop scaring people from applying. Um Two, just to be able to to have a better to get a better feel for uh, for people's experience, um, especially if it's a if it's a higher tenured position. But you're you're exactly right. It's not there isn't a labor shortage. There is a skilled labor. There's a there's a middle manager shortage in our industry that the young people or the inexperienced people that uh, I mean we've got you know we had we had apprentice. We had apprentice um, applicants that were in their you know mid thirties and mid forties. Fine with me. I mean that's 
they, you know, that was that was especially during the time of the of the Great Resignation when people were trying to reassess their their life and and hey, is this the best job for me? Um, we had a lot of people that said, hey, I think this sounds something fun that I would like to get out of my desk job, my mm-hmm. nine to five desk job, and for do sure. this. Uh, have an impact on kids. Have a, have an impact on you know safety. Uh, have an impact on the environment. I know that it's become this big thing that you need this fancy four year degree to become a sports field manager. You don't. You don't. It's. I do. I have one. Sure, I have one. Has it helped me get to where I'm at? No, it has not. Hard work. Um connecting with people, uh, learning, not being afraid to admit when I don't know how to do something so I can get someone to teach me how to do it. Um, those have been the things that have gotten me to where I'm at. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible career field that, I mean, sure, is it good to know the, <laughs> the impact of manganese in the photosynthetic cycle? Sure, it's good to know if I'm going to be doing plant physiology. I don't do plant physiology very mm-hmm. much in my job. Yeah, it's my job's managing people and reading for reading soil tests and you know sometimes we make this job gets a little bit too complicated. Let's just keep it simple and focus on the basics. Fields are failing because we don't decompact the soil enough. Fields are failing because we use the wrong type of fertilizer in the wrong type of situation because we don't trust our soil test. Um, fields aren't failing because. I didn't know manganese in the photosynthetic cycle. <laughs> yeah. And so it really comes to, uh, what we're encouraging our apprentices now all all of them actually have um all of them actually have another have a degree in something else. Mm-hmm. Um it just worked out that way. Uh for our next class what what we're going to encourage we have a local community college, but I would encourage any young person that that loves loves sport and loves working outside and Get an apprenticeship or get an internship or an apprenticeship, and it doesn't have to be with a professional sports team. It doesn't have to be some sexy, high-profile job. You're not going to learn nearly as much necessarily at some high-profile place mm-hmm. um, unless you're with the right person. Now, you and I both interned under people that, that taught us well, yes. uh, even at the pro level. Mm-hmm. But you need hands-on experience to learn these things. You know, that's – that's that's the most important part is the, is the hands-on learn the equipment learn that kind of thing it's just operating machines it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm. but a two-year business degree or a, a two-year psychology degree <laughs> and experience or, or biology or any it's something you love yeah whatever i mean you, most kids today can go get a two-year degree at their local community college probably for free Depending on Close your state, depending yeah. on your state education situation, mm-hmm. I know in Maryland it's you can you can really, it's really good, and I think Virginia's pretty good as well, isn't it's it? It's very inexpensive. That's great. I mean, it's like three hundred dollars for three credits. So. That's brilliant. Yeah, the, I, so I actually did probably ninety percent of my general education at a community college before I went. That's to a tech. great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. A four-year university is screaming at us right now because we're saying this, but well, I, that's just the world today. That's just how it is. It's half the problem, half the problem with the four-year degrees is they're not having any enrollment. Yeah. Half the time, it's like, okay, yeah, go to the two-year and then come to me for the two years for turf, and you'll have your four-year degree. Like that's that's a great way to do it. It could you know? be, yeah, yeah, so, sure. You yeah. know, 
yeah, it's um, there's a lot lot of different ways to go about this. There mm-hmm. isn't a right way and a wrong way, nope. and it's um, it all comes down to passion and hard work. But passion and hard work is what gets you ahead in almost any industry. Absolutely. And any any young person or any any person in general at all that's passionate about about life. And I'm not saying you have to be passionate about turf to get into turf. You just need exactly. to be passionate about life and mm-hmm. not don't be downtrodden about the circumstances that you're in. I mean, that's you made the point. I mean, we need we need more people in our industry. Um, the more diversity, and when I say diversity, it's it's in females and in non-whites. Um, our industry, it's let's just face it, we're 99 percent white. And we're ninety eight percent women or men. It's a hell of a lot of opportunity for a lot of fine young people yeah. that are or people in general that aren't white and that aren't men. And something that again, like I and it nothing against like our county or anything, like uh ninety there's a good percentage of people that work on uh golf courses and even complexes like this that are Hispanic, you know, Absolutely. it's just, especially Absolutely. in our area, like mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity for them to, again, push through and be somebody huge in this industry, you know, cause the opportunities there, it's just whether or not they want to take the next step, you know, be an apprentice here versus just being a worker here, you know, like there are different avenues that I think, again, we talk about industry needing help. Like there are people out there that are willing to put forth. You just got to find them. Well, that's part of what the four-year degree requirement for so many things has really kind of scared away a lot of non-whites because of the lack of economic opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, it's a great opportunity for for so many people. Mm-hmm. And, and Anyone yeah, and everyone. Our, our staff our staff is so diverse. We we represent we represent seven different countries. Um, we have we have two women. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's only beginning, and I just, it just makes me so excited. It's incredible. It's just, it's, it's so fantastic to yeah. see, to see the number of people. But you're right. I mean, we do we have an advantage in, in a metropolitan area? I mean, I guess, do you count, do you count yourself in the Washington, D.C. area? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're right on the edge as well. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. be on the edge. Yeah. Okay. We're, uh. I don't know if you've been down to Virginia 66. Oh, sure. So yeah. we're Manassas, oh, okay. Gainesville, and right where suburbia ends. It's right where we're at. Right so we're like on the bottom. You're in horse country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. we call it. In Maryland, we call that part of Virginia horse country. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're So Brentsville is like on the line where four lanes becomes two lanes. Like okay. it's, it's pretty crazy how like the country is like right past us. For those of you who are listening that are from the DMV, you, you'll know the the Maryland Virginia divide. It's like <laughs> when I moved here, it's when I moved here, it's like, oh, you you live in Virginia? Oh, that's yeah, way too far. This. It's like Tyson's is ten minutes from here, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's way too far to go. Uh, I don't yeah. go into Virginia. No, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, but the problem is we're not all wrong because traffic is awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the yeah. 10 minutes could be an hour, could be you an know, hour. we don't know, be. but, uh, no, for sure. Um, but it, it's, it's just, there's so much opportunity and, yes. and it's whether it's, you know, and, and what John, what John Ledwidge has done at Leicester city and, 
you know, with, with their sports turf Academy. I mean, I really, I'm indebted to him for, uh, they were really, they were really taking a swing at it before we were even taking a swing at it. Mm -hmm. We were, we were providing or, or, or my firm was doing a lot of the continuing education stuff. Uh, they really started the apprenticeship stuff and and we kind of stole a page out of their book. Mm -hmm. And, um, but what they've done is just superb. I, I was actually there last week and, um, to actually experience it firsthand and see the impact that they're making on the on the people that they've hired, and to see all of those see all those people becoming, you know, viable full time staff that are mm-hmm. just crushing it. I mean, yeah. the quality of field that they're producing is insane. It's it's another level. It's another level. And, and I and would I've, say people, honestly. Yep. I mean, I ran into. I was at the GCSA and he sent his golf course mm-hmm. superintendent that works on the facility over. And he's like, true. I'm like, I don't know you, <laughs> but I had like a 30 minute conversation with him on the uh, midway. It was in San Diego last year. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's just an incredible guy. Like, I don't even know him. It's yeah. like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you they're, off. No, man. they're doing great things. They're doing great things. I mean, it's to be able to, have staff buy in is the number one key to produce quality. Um, your field manager can have the biggest dreams and the highest expectations, but if your staff doesn't buy in, and and man, I was having a conversation with with some of the guys last week when I was there, and they're out divoting the pitch, and they haven't had a match on for two or three weeks, and out divoting the pitch, looking to just make it that much, but it's already perfect. And they're, and they're out looking for spots in the pitch that aren't perfect. Like that's the kind of, and that's not something that anybody told them to do. That's what they, that's what they do. They buy into it. That's exactly right. And that is, that's a big thing we're excited about with our Institute is to be able to have, have apprentices that buy into the standards, apprentices that one understand how to utilize data uh, we it's a big part of our apprentice program is uh, we we've started rotating our apprentices through on your our data tech this week you know go collect the go collect the um, go collect the surface data go collect the moisture data uh, do these kinds of things decipher the you know go through and analyze the data uh, to let them take turns understanding the data mm-hmm. to, um, now we're toying with actually, Figuring out a way to to let each of them essentially sort of quote be in charge yeah. for a week. Um, we we we're gonna we've for the for the springtime we're gonna split up our facility into four parts, uh, four sections that each apprentice will be quote in charge of that section for for a week or two and then rotate and then you get experience on Bermuda grass you get experience on cool season grass you get experience on. A sand base field, you had experience on a native soil field, you, you all of these different things that we're dealing with with this facility. Um, because then you start to understand the expectation and the standard of really getting the detail things right. Um, so we're, we're, we're at a really fun point in our apprentice program because we're six months in, the foundation is laid. Now we're kind of got this lull here during the winter that we're doing some. And we do classes twice a week, mm-hmm. so we do classes every for sixty to ninety minutes every Tuesday and Thursday, and um, and uh, 
you know, we're really, we have the foundation laid and it's just going to get better from here. Um, but it's the hardest thing to teach is, is standards and expectations. Because if that person, if a person doesn't hold themselves to high expectation, high standards already, it's hard to teach that. Yeah. So, so for young people that are considering this, I mean, I, I mentioned passion and then being able to hold yourself accountable. It's really important. It's really important. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, everything you said was like music to my ears when it comes to like my program and my kids, you know, it's, it's, you can't be successful without the people around you. And when it comes to like our program, like the people are like, well, how'd you do this? How did you get field of the year? How'd you do all these things? Like it's my students. Like I, I can only do so much as one person, you know, right? if they're not buying into like what we're trying to do, what we're about, what we're trying to build there, like, you can't have any of it. Like it's not, you can try as hard as you can, but if your students aren't doing the work and not advocating for you, not doing the basic things and something that you said was with all the data and empowering your apprentices, like empowering someone, even with a little bit, that's, I think what has failed the system when it comes to internships in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you and I were very lucky with the people that we had. Like we were able to do things that we usually would not be seen on a professional mm-hmm. level. Like giving them the opportunity to say, I mean, even like at a professional sports field, like Mo, like <laughs> that's a little <laughs> thing. Like on an away stand, like let them get on the mower. That's something huge. Like yep. when you're talking about our college kids, most of them aren't doing jobs that are in turf that are working. Like I worked on the grounds for a tech, so like I, I was very lucky with what I was doing there. So like most kids going into internships don't have that yeah. prime example. Uh, a couple of girls who were part of the softball Little league world series, they had never worked on sports fields mm-hmm. and the little league world series was the first time they were doing it. Oh, that's and funny. it was like, Oh really? Like <laughs> you were, you're very fresh at this. Like, so it's they fun. were learning on site at again, what's is a pretty high leveled event when it comes to like mm-hmm. TV, ESPN and all that. Extremely like high expectations. And it's just, it's incredible to see like that's their first experience and just take it in and just giving them the opportunity to have somewhat of a get a say is something that'll change everything, you know, and with the classes, I think honestly, like if you're able to in an internship, if you're able to, and like whenever you have staff is like, just sit them down and go over something. Like Mm -hmm. one of the big things that I've noticed in my tenure, like teaching wise is like, I, don't understand the turnover of my class to the next class. It's understanding like, Hey, maybe I should go over certain things again in a certain way so that they understand that this is the standard. This is what's expected of you because Mm -hmm. your class that moved on to the next class already knows that, but you forgot that this is a new class. Like, so taking the time at a very specific time, you need to understand this point so that everything goes according to plan throughout the season that's critical. And I think a lot of people just expect, expect, expect without actually teaching and mentoring in the, the way of what you want and how you expect it to be done. If that makes sense. Oh, it's, it's one of the biggest frustrations I hear from, from field managers that I deal with that they're just like, Oh, these, you know, I hired this kid and I, or I hired this person and I put them in this position and they just don't know what to do. Well, how do they know what to do if you don't tell them what to do? It's your, it's our job. As, mm-hmm. it's, why, it's why we're the, it's why we're the, the director. Uh, director, the, uh, yeah. like you direct. Yeah, you know, that's um, yeah, that that's kind of a, 
that's been something that's lost um, or been lost in the last five to 10 years because so many sports field maintenance programs have been stretched so thin mm-hmm. that you don't have time for that mentorship. 100%. And so it's like, well, we don't have time for that today. We don't have that time for that today. But it um, it's one of the most important things that if you don't make time, and it's hard to make time when you don't oh, have yeah. time. 100%. But if you don't make time, then that person's going to become a burden as opposed Breaking to an things, asset. Having issues and, and stuff, yeah. And once they start to lose their self-confidence – then that becomes a bigger problem. And that's, that's something that, that's, that becomes just, it, it becomes viral throughout the entire organization. So it's, it's, uh, it's really hard to overcome, especially as, as I mentioned, as stretched thin as our, our organizations are because we are having to do so much with so few people. Um, but it really comes down to how do we, how do we continue to, to improve that? I mean, it's a snowball effect. You know, it's, again, like you said, viral. If you have something bad that gets to the next person and goes to the next person, it's going to become an infection of the whole staff. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you lose everyone and you're now stuck with the staff that doesn't want to do anything for you. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. a whole other level of terror, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that comes into that word culture. Yeah. That, that um, you hear the word culture used in business. Well, guess what? We're in business too. Mm-hmm. We're, we we manage and, and and run departments that have budgets and oh, yeah. staff and HR rules, and we're in business. And culture, I mean, culture is what it comes down to. Having that, and sometimes it's just it's more important to stop what's going on and and. And fix it, yeah, and re- reset. That's a good word, reset. Mm-hmm. And you know, have that come to Jesus meeting. And you know, I like I like to um, what we've really kind of tried to instill here is is that team aspect. Uh, the good thing is, is our apprentices and most of our staff like sport, mm-hmm. so they have all come from playing sports. They've mm-hmm. been on teams, yeah. They, I can tell who they have the camaraderie aspect in their lives. Yeah, I can I can tell what position they played on the field even by the way they kind of carry themselves and and the the amount of of um, responsibility they take on Mm -hmm. with their holding their teammates accountable. Yeah, Um, and all comes to the coach. So whether you want to call a director a director or call him a coach or call them a coach. It's about us coaching up our staff, coaching up our team to be able to win. I mean, it's uh, you see so many times, even at the pro level, that a coach will be fired and a new coach comes in, and all of a sudden that same group of players starts to win. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, we have to take a hard look in the mirror. Those of us who are pretty entrenched in our ways, yeah, and realize that sometimes that. It's not the employees that are the problem. It's not these, you know, I, I love here. I, 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 lo- I laugh. I don't love. I laugh. <laughs> All these millennials, they don't want to work or this or that. Or <laughs> yeah. Gen Z, they don't want to work. It's just different. It's just different because yeah. we went through the same, you and I went through the same thing. Oh, you young kids, you think you know everything. 
No, we don't, but we want to. Yeah, for sure. And we're part of, and that's one thing that's interesting for young people coming into the industry today, is those of us, I'm for, what am I, 43? Those of us who are around my age were the first group of people that made that made the aspirational choice to come into sports field management and actually say, I want to be a grass field manager. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't just the facilities per, working in facilities and end up taking care of the field. Like I went to college to to do this, or I you know I got an internship to do this. You know, the next generation, you get to continue that. They get to continue that, and mm-hmm. that is really cool because we're we're kind of learning and, and becoming, um, all becoming better together. One hundred percent. But it's humbling. For sure, because it's that's what da- data alone, data, data and analysis of fields is a humbling business because you think you have it figured out, and so everything in your intuition tells you you have it figured out, and the numbers and the data says different. You're like, well, hold on here, what what gives? And that's why a lot of people are scared of data. They don't want to be. You know, I hear them say, you know, you're you're going to expose expose us to criticisms that didn't exist before. Okay. Well, that's not a bad thing. Like yeah. it makes us better. Mm-hmm. Data and sports science are going to increase, help us increase salaries. They're going to help us increase respect levels. They're going to help us increase the importance of the profession because those who are using data and do their job correctly are a valuable part of the team and they shouldn't be lost. So I think salaries and, and, and such will start to correspond or are corresponding. They are, they are they're, at least, they're at, least in, to, yeah. at least in soccer. It's, yeah. it's certainly, it's certainly improving. That's for, for sure. sure. For sure. Now, something that sort of coincides with all that, and we talked about it with a few different people. And one that really talked about it with was Ludwig, John, mm-hmm. um, you were talking about professionalism and sort of how we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And um, I forget who else. It might have been Carl Stanley, actually, was Carl goes to a game in a suit. Like, yes, he does. Like, yeah. I think that's incredible. But at the same time, it's like, wait, you're you're in charge of the field. And any minute, you might have to go down there and fix something or something. Like, the the standard that is set in, again, the UK compared to us is so different and I think we're way behind the eight ball in a way. And I'm not saying we put suits on for our games or anything. <laughs> Seeing Bill and Matt out there with those on in a suit would be pretty funny. But where do we sort of lack, sort of from your experience, obviously you've been so many different places and work with the MLS and all these things. Where do we lack a certain area that we need to improve upon when it comes to sort of displaying our professionalism when it comes to sports field management in comparison to what you've seen, again, across the world? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think we lack as much as I'm bored. Drank. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it's evo- it's evolving. Mm-hmm. It's evolving. I mean, it, we both know people that do have that that do have the ability to set in a in a vice pre- in a meeting with vice presidents and mm-hmm. and and you know management people and and have a professional discussion with them and not just stay off the grass, the field's closed. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we both know those types of people in this country. Now, 10 years ago, that number of people was less than it is now. Um, I mean, I, I would... I would sing the praises of the of the field managers across MLS because it is, it is a professional group. Um, I mean, there's there's, sure it's not everyone, but it's it's nearly everyone at this point. Um, but that's an evolving group that that's that's taken on a life of its own in a way because soccer is changing and evolving so quickly and, and growing so quickly. Um, it just it really comes to. It, it really comes to that influence and that just that lack of of positivity that we all need because it's it can be a draining job. Yeah, There's a lot sure. on us. There's a lot of you know, and, and and I, you know, this is this is part of the time that I that or this this brings to mind to me something that we that we talk about a lot with a lot of field managers is that the amount of pressure that is on us. Um, if a field fails, you're not, most, you know, especially in the social media age, um, your name's going to be out there oh, yeah. on social media for sure. And the fans are going to be going to be calling for your head. Uh, <laughs> there's only there's only three jobs in sport that the fans are going to be calling for someone's head: the general manager, or excuse me, four four jobs: the general manager, the manager, or mm-hmm. the coach. The players and the field manager. For sure. We have to acknowledge to ourselves the amount of pressure that creates. Um, you know, you meant you mentioned Carl and, and you know Carl's taking professionalism to a to a to a new level and it's fantastic. And uh, he's also taken you know, use been brave enough to talk about mental health as a as a you know, as a priority and something that he's, he's necessarily potentially struggled with. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to deal with these situations with these, you know, millions and billions of dollars worth of players on one field. And if it's not right, you're going to hear about it. And if it's if it is right, not you're not going to hear a word. Yep. So it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a lonely feeling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all—it's all connected because if the professionalism is there, you have the support of everyone in your organization. They're going to support you in the good times and the bad times. Mm-hmm. They're going to appreciate you in the good times and the bad times. If you're transparent and you're honest and you're open and you don't make excuses and you don't blame this and that, um, it doesn't take long for a business executive. To figure out that oh this guy's just going to have an excuse for everything, or this person's going to have an excuse, and I'm not talking about field managers in general. I'm talking about people in business. Mm-hmm. Oh, this person's got a, an excuse for everything. If you take accountability, or you you're able to be accountable and responsible, that's where professionalism is at. Um, to sit in a meeting or or present yourself in a way that. You have solutions, not problems. Um, you're the director of your department. You're supposed to come up with the solutions. You're not supposed to bring the problems. You're supposed to bring the solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's evolving a lot. Uh, yes, a lot of the European clubs uh, are known for having that professionalism. They also have a lot bigger budgets than, mm-hmm. than a lot of our American uh, American counterparts. For sure. Now, that's changing. That's changing as well, but 
I mean, not enough can be said for for what a lot of a lot of European outfits have done. A lot of their grounds departments have done, especially with the ag- aggressiveness when it comes to to renovations and just having the having the courage to, to try it, yeah. something new. Uh, the biggest thing I notice is that uh, I have, uh, or, or I, I call it managing on the offensive or managing on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big thing, at least in the United States, that I notice is kind of fueled by. Uh, well, it's not. We won't. We won't blame it on one thing or another. But it's like, yeah. Paint it white, sleep at night. Type of have to spray my herbicide, or have to spray my fungicide, have to spray my, you know, we we're always worried. We're always managing from a defensive position on. Oh my goodness, I'm worried about my grass. I'm worried about my grass. I don't hear that as much from a European standpoint, or mm-hmm. especially a UK standpoint. Like they're confident. Okay, we get we gave it what it needs. We gave it the feed that it needs. We gave it the water that it needs. It's getting the light that it's need that it needs. Like we're giving the plant what it needs. I have confidence that the grass is going to grow mm-hmm. versus a little bit different approach to it with some U.S. field managers to say that we're a little bit more, you know, we're scared by it more. Now, part of that comes from the number of salesmen that are selling chemicals to say, if you don't spray this, your grass is going to die. All those salesmen love to throw a monkey wrench in all of them. <laughs> And that's what, you know, in part of our program, we work with people that are positive minded, mm-hmm. not negative minded, positive sure. minded. Don't come in and compl- don't come in and let it be a complaint session. Let it be a solution session. Mm-hmm. It's about solutions. Yes. And we're making generalizations um, and there's people that'll, that'll take it personally, but it's a matter of come in with solutions and come in with, and, but that's for young people in general or, or people coming into the industry at all or involved now is. You know, just people in general is the more solutions and positivity you have, it's it's the same place. It's evolving. Mm-hmm. It's evolving so much. There's so much, so many more higher paying jobs now than there used to be five years ago or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's so much more respect for field managers. Do we have a long way to go? Yes. Very long way. But, but at the same time, we have to be ready mm-hmm. because if we want more money and we want more Notoriety, mm-hmm. we also have to take more responsibility. So that's more pressure. 100%. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. Like For sure. It's, um, I, lo- I think it's great. I mean, I, I bring on the pressure because that's, that's what we do this because we love it and we want to be a part of a team that wins. Mm-hmm. I just love how you bring up, I mean, in, in when it comes to professional accountability is critical and it's one of those things that you have to sort of teach in a way, you know, especially like with your, again, Institute and my program is guys, guess what? You're not going to get in trouble. If you hold yourself accountable, come tell me if you broke something or if something went wrong, please tell me that you don't break things. If if you're not doing exactly, if you're not, if you're not trying, there's really no point of you being here as a student, you know, like it, by be holding yourself accountable and telling us when things go wrong, guess what? We're going to work together through it. We're going to fix it together and we're going to be able to understand that this is what happened. But if you do something and you don't tell me it leads to harm of someone else or my boss finds out and I have to deal with it because I'm the one that's responsible for you. Okay. These are things that 
your professionalism, my viewpoint on you, it just plummets. And that's where, like you said, it's perfect. Like accountability is the, I mean, the foundation for professionalism. And, uh, when you, when you spoke of the double-edged sword, it's very true, you know? Um, but I think our industry has been put in a sort of avenue where that pressure is already very prevalent and already, Absolutely. already there, you know, oh, it's extreme, you know, uh, what was it the other day? Uh, Jared Goff with the field in Carolina saying that the playing surface was below NFL standards because it was freezing. Like, mm-hmm. I, Danny does everything that he possibly can for that field. Like, it's an artificial base field. There's much more that he could do to it when it comes to a managing standpoint of what was negative five out or something. <laughs> like, uh, you got people like Travis that you were talking about. Like, he's got the heating system on. He's got all these things, and it's it's the best that he can. And he'll come out and say, like, well, we were able to withhold the standard of what we normally play on because of the things that are in this natural grass field. Um which we won't go there yet to drop that bomb, but um, but there is so much that comes with it that I feel like, like you said, we have to be prepared for it. But what do you think those next steps are for that that long way off of getting to where we need to be when it comes to whether it's pay or whatever is going to be the next steps for our industry? Because I feel like, like you said, we're moving in the right direction for sure. And I'm not saying COVID helped with any of that or anything like that, but the standards are being set so high for the sports field manager that there has to be something that comes around for them, whether that's more time off or more staff or more just in general, you know, mm-hmm. what do you think that's going to look like in the next few years being with the MLS? And again, the broad around the world view that you have compared to most of us here in the United States. Well, I think it's, it's um, the, the good thing is, is that the conversation is starting to happen. Um, I mean, even even you know what you you mentioned about the, you know field field conditions in one place versus field conditions in another place. Uh, the biggest thing that MLS is doing is that we're trying to standardize the technologies across the league. Uh, currently, we might we have clubs that have undersoil heating systems, and we have clubs that don't have undersoil heating systems. We have clubs that have the have grow lights and don't have grow lights. Mm-hmm have clubs that have concerts and don't have concerts, yet every single person is expected to produce the same condition at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to, you know, produce a good quality field for, for our match whenever it is. Um, that's the biggest difference across the board, you know, even when it comes to, let's let's make it simple. Let's make it at, say, at the high school level. Mm-hmm. A high school field, a uh, uh, high school field, that gets rained out on a Friday night gets compared. Well, high school field that gets rained out on a Friday night that has no maintenance that gets mowed once a week, whether it needs it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, that's facetious. That's being facetious. You should be mowing a lot more than once a week. <laughs> I'm say, man. Yeah. So this field's getting say $5,000 worth of maintenance a year. Mm-hmm. And well, it gets rained out on Friday night. So we need a million dollar synthetic system. <laughs> yep. That is the, the standard is the million dollar synthetic system, even in high school sports. Oh, uh, well, we got to rain out. Well, then put drainage into your grass field for one tenth of the cost that it would cost to put in that. Oh, uh, well, you, I didn't know you could do didn't that. Didn't know that was a thing. Uh, yeah. 
the lack of advocacy that has happened to create consistent standards. I'm not pointing fingers. At, I'm just I'm I'm no, justifying I'm, that. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Same page with this. Yeah. I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I know I know the comments that will come, but yeah. the lack of advoc- advocacy that has happened on construction specifications or renovation specifications or a field. We just talked about it earlier. I still have never maintained a field that has been built completely right. Mm-hmm. That has the, has the best drainage, has the best grass, has the best maintenance, has the best of everything. Yeah. I still, I still haven't experienced that. Yeah. I still haven't seen that anywhere in the world where everything gets put together absolutely correctly because everyone's always continuing to improve all the time and we're continuing to evolve. That lack of standard, of that construction standard especially mm-hmm. that exists puts everyone at a disadvantage no matter whether it's at the pro level. I mean, we see professional stadiums get built by architects that don't have a clue about natural grass fields mm-hmm. and then three years later get rebuilt again. In a brand new in a brand new professional stadium. And then the finger pointing starts and well, it wasn't that anyone had the bad intention. It was just no one would stop and say, I'm not a natural grass field expert. <laughs> I don't know about this. They think, Oh, it's just a field. Well, it's not just a field. It's it's the reason that we're here. Yeah. Now that's the world we live in. So we have this opportunity to create these standards, to create and as I mentioned, across across the league and MLS, there were the, the league office is working hard on establishing those kinds of things to make it more fair for one field manager in one place versus a field manager in another place mm-hmm. that might have undersoil heating and grow lights and another field manager that might have shade and not have any undersoil heating and no grow lights. Yeah. And then expected to produce the same conditions. Yeah. Because it's it's different. Technology it has a, it has such a big impact, um, but I mean all the way down to the parks and rec level that at least if we can get them built correctly or renovated correctly, renovated, yep. and, and there's just so few people that understand that there's a difference in what my local lawn care provider can do versus what a trained sports field professional can do. Yeah, and. I mean, we obviously are preaching to the choir with one another and those <laughs> those who are listening. But th- but those of you who are listening, it's okay to advocate for for better conditions. It's you know, my, one of my favorite things to catch people's attention is grass fields don't fail. Construction or renovation fails and maintenance fails. The grass field itself didn't fail. Mm-hmm. Something else failed. Someone did something to it. Exactly. Yep. And and okay, the the pushback on this, well, it got used too much. Well, if it would have been built and or renovated correctly and get maintained correctly, then it could have been used a heck of a lot more. I mean, you prove it twenty four times out here. <laughs> we do, <laughs> you know, and every day. Yep. And and the results speak for themselves, and so do so many field managers across the world mm-hmm. that are doing incredible things, setting a new standard. And it's not that the old standard was wrong; it was just that able to improve and, and they're able to have new standards and it's we're back to the same thing it's just so exciting that we're able to be here uh, a program like yours is doing what it's doing 
getting the, just getting the word out that this can be an aspirational career. Mm. You can do this and make a lot of money. You can do this and have a lot of fun. Yeah. You can do this and it it's a re, it's I well, I had somebody say this to me one time. Well, what what about you know what about a real job? I don't want a real job. This is a real job. <laughs> Maybe and, you should get in the real world. <laughs> that's exactly right. and, and that's you know, and that's uh, well, on, my, on my soapbox. I mean, I'm just a farm kid from. I'm a farm kid from North Central Missouri. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm. I hadn't been on an airplane in my entire life until I was 19 years old. I hadn't. I mean, the big city to me was Kansas City, and yeah. we went there a few times a year, and it was overwhelming and it was terrifying. Yeah. And I, I told you in 2019, before the pandemic hit, I was on. A, I I had 170 flight segments, God bless. to thir- to 13 <laughs> to 13 different countries. Yeah, for this business, this this wonderful thing called sports turf, like the opportunities that this industry provides are endless, and it's just getting started. And and, and I don't I don't say that to brag. I I say that to. Again, I'm a farm kid from Missouri. I hear you. Like, I'm living my dream every single day. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you, you, you and I were talking about. I mean, and, and we did our we did our fourth um, fourth grass can take more uh, workshop in Tokyo, Japan, uh, three weeks ago. It's just, and, and I was I was telling a couple tell, telling someone the other night that after having to take off the amount of time from travel because of COVID, like I definitely appreciate it a lot more now. Like mm-hmm. it's like pinch yourself. Yeah. Like it could, it could come to an end. Yeah. And to be somewhere, you know, in a foreign country, in a, in a foreign, in a different place, different language, different food, different culture. We're growing grass, baby. Yep. How awesome is that? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, we're they're talking Japanese. They're speaking in Japanese. <laughs> and I'm speaking language, English. But yeah, but you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to produce a quality surface for our professional or our collegiate or our youth fields. I just love how you compare it to the fields. The wear is always in the same place. It's all. It's the same thing. It's very predictable. It's a universal speech. Sports it, field management. It's. Uh, the high traffic area doesn't change much. It, cha- it changes by sport, yeah. but it doesn't really change much by. By it's very predictable. It's and, and that's. I don't. I'm learning not to try to be predict. You know, we try to let yeah. the data speak for itself, but yeah. it is predictable, mm-hmm. and that's that's something that you know, with our institute, we're gonna we're gonna implement uh, with the money that we're raising, uh, with the thing, some of the research we're going to do. We're going to focus on the traffic patterns. Uh, we don't need to look at grass species or anything like mm-hmm. that. We need we want to focus on traffic patterns for different. So U eight soccer versus U twelve soccer versus U eighteen soccer versus you know U twelve lacrosse versus U eighteen lacrosse. Like what are the traffic patterns, and how do we learn from that to be on offense before the event happens? Yeah. What can we do before that event? Knowing that this is going to happen. And knowing what the traffic pattern is going to be. That's exactly incredible. Right. Yeah. Like that sounds like Dr. Straw down at Texas A&M working yeah. on some sensors and stuff with that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, and that's the thing that we continue to up the game with, you know, like there are so many things that you can observe and there are so many things that you can analyze and figure out and being able to 
uh, work with other groups. You know, you were talking about with MLS, you're in contact with, which group is it? Uh, keep talking about Meta, medical. Oh yeah. I'm with sorry, the, with the, the, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, you're you good. Mean, <laughs> you're like, you're making something up. No, <laughs> no but you're in contact with the medical side of MLS absolutely. and everything that sports goes into science it. So and like, medical really are interested in what's going on with the field. Yeah. I mean, the, the sports scientists are, there's sports scientists in sport now that have enough data, like they're tracking sleep patterns or tracking how much the players eat. They're, they're able to put in all this data into an algorithm and predict that a player is likely to have an injury soon. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the field? And so we get to be part of that. We as field managers get to be part of that conversation as mm -hmm. well. For sure. And that another, another situation where we're increasing our professionalism and increasing the respect level that other people, other departments have for us. It's really a, and it's critical. I think you know when it, when we talk about the the rise of the professionalism and the expectation and the pressures, it's like the way you can battle that is working with everyone and having everyone have a comprehensive idea of what it is that you're doing and how you impact their realms. You know, yeah. um, I mean, when you talk about cleats, I was at a talk. Uh, I spoke down at the Southeast Regional Turf Conference, and I think it's. Dixon, I could be wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, he's at Tennessee. He's giving a talk on artificial and the cleats mm -hmm. and how certain cleats have certain impacts on a ankle and a knee and a whatnot. And it's just like, well, if we were doing this across the board, you know, like MLS is doing now, like things can be combated in certain ways, you know? Sure. So I don't know what that step is. And again, we've talked about it. It's like, we, I don't know who we can get. And I think the only person that can do it are the owners of the teams, you know, yeah. being able to say, okay, we're going to make a big stand on natural grass. Like, all right, we'll go into it now. The NFL and everything that's going on, <laughs> you know, when it comes to artificial versus natural, like there is going to be a point in the next, I think five, 10 years where there's going to be a switch. Yeah. And I could be wrong. And there might be some lobbyists for plastic and rubber and people that will block it or whatever. And NFL owners might be a part of that, whatever, but there's a shift coming. Mm -hmm. And with that shift, I feel like our profession needs to make that jump mm -hmm. in the significance of who we are. And that'll end up being pay and that'll end up being more resources and better technology to use and whatnot. Where do you see that point of inflection where that's going to happen and, take the leap to that next level where natural grass and the work that you're doing here at the soccer plex, understanding the patterns of different levels. MLS is this new engine with every single level. I'm talking to Ryan up in new England with the revolution. He's like, well, we have 12 U and 18 U and all these like different groups. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So when, when we're talking, when we're talking MLS, we're talking, we're talking academies. professional. The word? Yeah. We're talking professional. We're talking, Third division, we're just, so we're talking minor league. Yeah, we're talking youth, all on the youth academy, side. all down to U eight. Yep. Absolutely, that's yep. crazy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's um, it is a and which is same as it's a European soccer soccer mm -hmm. model, model as well. Yeah. That, that you know, it's um, you know, a, a big facility at well, we we're talking about what Le what Leicester City has, mm -hmm. um. 
you know, they're, they have a U8 field, they have a U10 field, they have a U12 field, they have a U14 field. That's, and then it's, it's an aspirational thing that as you move up, you move closer to the first team building, you move mm-hmm. closer to the, um, you know, that's, that's what soccer is. It's a, it, it is a, it's a growing beast of, of, um, of youth players. So yeah, we're dealing with, we're not just dealing with professional For professional sure. team. It's yeah. it's much more of a it's it's much more of a collaborative thing where minor league baseball is starting to be a bit more collaborative with mm-hmm. major league baseball. For I sure. think there's a lot of push against that, or there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of friction with that, good yeah. or bad. Yeah, um, soccer is is an entire you know MLS as a whole as an entity is all of those levels put together for sure. Um, so yeah, you're dealing with a whole lot of different. And and I think to answer your question, I mean, I think at least from a soccer side, that's forcing that inflection point. It's, it's raising the bar because our U8, our U8 players are expecting good fields. Our U10 yeah. players are, I mean, the most humiliating thing is for a coach of a U10 team to come over and be like, Hey, What's wrong with the field now? It's typically <laughs> like we're standing on you know tight, dense, strong, dormant Bermuda, and they don't know what strong, dormant Bermuda is. And the U18s will request dormant Bermuda because the footing's so good. Mm. And the U10s are like, "What is this dead grass?" It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite but, time. Of but year. it's the learning point. Yeah, by U18, you understand what dormant Bermuda is and how good footing is. At U8 or U10, you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. They're just new. The parents are new. And that's one thing that's a continual – I mean, you mentioned it earlier with with new students and new classes. We have new parents and new players that we're educating all the time. For sure. We're, we're educating that lower level of, of player all the time because they're always new. So each, you know, each year or each um, – Every four years or every six years, we have a whole, you know, we have a crop of whole new players, mm-hmm. just like you have a, a, an entirely new student population. For sure. We have the same thing with players that we're, that we're educating. So the inflection point, at least for us in soccer, um, I think is here. For sure. Um, but you see that. You see that in investment at the professional level in undersoil heating, grow lights, uh, field replacements. I mean, we've got... The most advanced stadiums in the country are soccer stadiums. They're not. They're not other professional sports stadiums. Nope. They're soccer stadiums. Yep. Um, is that a good thing for the industry? No. Is that a good thing for soccer? Yes. Absolutely. Um, but it's you know kind of it, it's kind it's kind of like uh, you know a lot of people and I think there's politics involved. There's there's conservative versus not conservative. Uh, you know, it's it's a big thing that um, that that we really face. That you know, some of some of those things have come out in the last few years, especially with politics. Mm-hmm. But um, soccer is different. It is, and and for whatever, and but lacrosse is as well. Lacrosse, lacrosse is as well, and um, it's not traditional to American sports. But it's raising the bar, um, and, and trying to have a little more, uh, have a little more consistency across sports. I think is going to be 
But you, you see where you see where synthetic turf has focused uh, initially. It was on football fields, mm-hmm. and now synthetic turf is really focused on baseball fields. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to see how that sales aggressive the aggressiveness of those sales tactics impact the different sports. Um, but I mean, it, it's a great question you ask about that inflection point. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the NFL? conversation at the NFL level. Um, this has been going on for a while, though. And I agree the, with you on that. The, the, the players of the 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 women, the, the U.S. women's national team sued FIFA. Because the men don't have to play on it. And exactly, they and they had to play on it for the, for the World Cup in Canada, which mm-hmm. has now been six years, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I guess seven years ago. Um, they've been really, yeah. really outspoken against it, but because they're women, they haven't been listened to or taken yeah. nearly as, as seriously. So it's, and it's something this, this industry misses it every time because we were so worried about being politically correct. We can't talk about, we can't talk about, about synthetic turf. We can't, we, we, uh, it's like, send me out there. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. care where my political stance goes yeah. from here. You know, I mean, that's, that's something that, I mean, at the high school level, we talk about, like, the it's just, where do you see in your mind that, oh, artificial is the answer when it's, it's not even a million anymore. It's like 1.8. Oh, especially in your area. Yeah. It was like, now, like getting to that yeah, point here, where around, it's, around the DMV, it's, it's, it's with stormwater management requirements, it's. We're starting to get up to $2 million for a field. And what they don't understand is that the eight years really isn't eight years unless you know what you're doing when you take yep. care of it, which. Again, nothing against the athletic directors. I know them all well, and they're great, but they don't know what they're doing because they were never trained to take care of the field. And it's not even stuff that they can do. Like, they're supposed to bring in a company to do that work for them. Like, you don't have the equipment to properly take care of it, you know? like Yeah, you have to spend more to maintain a synthetic field than the grass field was was being spent to maintain the grass field that was previously there. I forget who it was. It was like $10,000 a year. Roughly. Roughly, right? Yep. That has never been spent in Princeton County ever once yeah. to maintain a synthetic field. And I guarantee you half of them haven't groomed it <laughs> for more than like once a month maybe, like and maybe less than that. I mean, it's it's unsafe the way that it is portrayed by the companies. And it's, it's aggravating, honestly, is because like when you see no maintenance, you're like, oh, yeah, definitely want that. Like, <laughs> but like – you got to understand that, like, if you're doing no maintenance to it, you're going to have the wear and tear of a natural grass field within three years. You know, like, when oh, you the, have a the gold data mouth. Is, yeah, the data is when you start testing them, you see the same wear patterns as you see on grass fields. 100%. Or, yeah, I, I love the fields that have had carpet replaced in the gold mouth. Exactly. Because- I'm like, what happened to no maintenance? What happened to, like, this is going to last whatever you put on it? Like, that's. Yeah, they have to be. You ma- can't be saying you, you that. You can't build anything and not maintain it. At least they're saying like batter's boxes need to be replaced every two years now, even though it's like every year. Like yeah. it's it's crazy to me that that level of misdirection and mis like communication. It's not even miscommunication, it's just misinformation. Like and people buy into it. I'm like, where where like you said, where do we get that standard set for natural grass? Like, hey, you could have spent a hundred thousand dollars to get this pretty decent native soil field playing perfectly and my thing is like 
with native soil, obviously you want to be able to cancel games when it's like really heavily raining, but like you can maintain a surface under high traffic with rain and other things pretty dang well if you're doing the right things, you know. You can, if also, add drain, you can also add drainage add to it drainage. for a whole lot less money than exactly. building plastic. And again, like do the little things, like don't do the massive like overhauls that are necessary, you know, like, I mean, we would love to put a new soil medium in, but like, like you're saying, if drainage is put in, it'll, it'll survive itself. Like Absolutely. it's, yeah. yeah, drainage is the most, where do you see sort of, whether it's SFMA, whether that's a different, maybe it's your Institute, like where do we get that out and how do we get that out to, so I'll give you an example, like my thought process, and I'm going to talk to this person that SFMA actually is getting in front of groups like the athletic directors association in the United States. Cause whether they know it or not, they're sports field managers because they Absolutely. have to get the fields prepped for their teams. Like whether that's just chalking the field every week and mowing it once a week, like you said, yep. like if we get in front of them and say, here's a cheaper option that is more viable for your business plan. When you talk about your school building, like you can do these things and, Again, God forbid you have 1.8 million just to go buy a synthetic. Hey, 1.8 will take you 40 years instead of the yeah. eight that you're going to have. So, sorry for yeah, no. putting that out there. What do you think that would sort of look like? Well, we've been having this conversation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me sound old to say that no, um, the professional all. organizations in this in this country aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the information they continue to provide, especially for lower level fields. Is so antiquated that uh, that it, that that that's that change isn't coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, we've been waiting for that savior <laughs> for t- for too damn long. Yes, um, for sure. And and that's fine. That's they they choose to serve their members, not to 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 do as mu- to do as much more. To me, the biggest thing comes back to the more good grass fields there are, the less need there is for synthetic fields. So the more people that are educated about the possibilities of natural grass that are educated about how to maintain natural grass. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same as, or, or something that excites me is something like um, uh, earthworks fertilizer is getting into earthworks for home. Mm-hmm. Uh, to start talking about synth- uh, organic fertilizers for home lawns, like yeah. they're that's a thing now. Like it's it's <laughs> coming out on and it's on, you can buy it on Amazon now. Um, that that excites me because that gets homeowners talking about organic fertilizer for for grass mm-hmm. and the good of grass on the environment. For what sure. excites me is a program like yours that's educating young people in high school about the possibilities and the positives of natural grass. We're not preaching to each other. You're preaching to a new group of people that haven't heard it before. Mm-hmm. What excites me is something about like our like our institute that is trying to educate the that wants to educate the players, the over 900,000 people that came through this park in the, in 2022. We want to educate those people about the positives of natural grass, about the positive impacts of properly maintained athletic fields. I think that's where the change comes because it's um, there's a group on Martha's Vineyard called the Field Fund mm-hmm. that um, they're the only 
advocacy group that I know of in the country that has taken their fight against synthetic turf and put the put the money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. They have raised money to maintain the grass fields on Martha's Vineyard instead of and to say that look how good our grass fields can be. Mm-hmm. That has gained them a lot of respect and really opened people's eyes. Wow, look how nice these fields are. Oh, you mean we can play on it when it rains? These are the kinds of impacts that we have we have to be in action. We can't we can't just talk about it. But you're in action, mm-hmm. and I thank you for it. And and I thank every single person that's what'd you say? This is the hundred and fifth podcast. Yeah, I, I think every <laughs> I think all hundred and four people before me for being in action and taking part in the conversation to help educate people outside the industry about how wonderful and how positively impactful this industry can be and is on a daily basis on not just the environment. Not just player safety, not just uh, not just sport itself and playability and the in the possibilities for for all of these all of these young people and the things that they can do as as athletes. Uh, I that's where it's at, man. I I'm I used to think that it was advocate. We have to accept what. We have to accept what we're against. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, like, I can go speak in an athletic director's meeting, but he's going to, that athletic director is going to see four synthetic turf salesmen in the next week. Yeah. Because there's so many people selling synthetic turf. There's nobody selling natural grass. Mm-hmm. Or there's a few, there's a few contractors that are yeah. out there doing it. But it's, it's a matter of nobody's selling the industry including the professional organizations aren't selling the industry because they include synthetic turf fields. Yeah. So they don't want to step on anybody's toes. So that's what you're doing of being in action. I think you answered your own question because because <laughs> you're doing it. I feel it. like you I haven't should. done anything. <laughs> that's oh, my, but like, you've you know? done so much more than you realize. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate it so much because it's people. We're back to the same thing. People mm. need to know that the industry exists. Yeah. This can be a career. This is a this is a this is an industry that makes an impact with all of these positive. And you know, I, I, was, ta- I was talking to my buddy Zach, who's now the um, the director of turf for turf grass for Central Park for the for the nice. fields and yeah. Can you you know just talking to him and, and talking to his staff about talk about a positive example. For a, in a city of 12 million people, 13 million people, the number of people through that park on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, we get excited about 900,000 people through our park in a single <laughs> year. He probably gets 900,000 people through his park in a single day. Yeah, for sure. And when those fields in Central Park are in better condition because they're being maintained by a sports field professional and somebody that's passionate and care. What a great way to make a living, taking yeah. care of the fields in Central Park. I mean, and talk about a positive impact on the community. Yeah. You're doing it. You're do, you're you're I having an impact. That. You're you're getting the word out. And Reasonable. that's what we have to do more of and, and being positive about it. And I, I think we talked about a little bit on the drive was from the ground up. I mean, when we talk about advocacy for the industry and for natural grass and all these things, if we start 
at our youth athletes. We're in the memory making business. Like, amen, brother. Like we we are creating the opportunity to have memories in all aspects, whether that's the parents watching their sons and daughters play, them playing actually on the fields. Uh, professional athletes are playing on fields that spectators come to all the time and world series down to little league championship games. Like it's, it's stuff that you will have with you for the rest of your life that people don't understand like the gravity of your work. And I feel like if we're able to bring that to like the eyes of say an owner in the NFL or somebody like that, like you don't comprehend, like without us, there is no money making machine. Well, we have to embrace that even ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you describe that, I mean it. It's exactly right. I mean, it's we we we're doing a um, talking about the script for a documentary to kind of cover the the basis of our institute, and, and yeah, it's fun to get videos and such of of our equipment and the work that we're doing and this and that. But where it's really at is with a ten year old kid that wakes up on a Saturday morning who the first thing he does is leap out of his bed and say, oh, my gosh, I have a soccer game this morning. Yep. That's the memory-making business that we're in. Mm -hmm. And we get to do that on a daily basis. And we don't spend enough time talking about that because it becomes monotonous and becomes a job. Yep. And I think that that happens in a lot of industries, that people take what they do for granted. But we we spend – we spend more time complaining about wages or time that we spend at work or this or that. And we spend less time for, you know, we forget about the positive impact that we're making on a daily basis mm-hmm. and not just on other families, but on our own families. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I see it differently now because I, I have a, I shall be three in, in two weeks. I have a three year old and to when's see when's her birthday. Uh, January 21st. Oh, okay. Coming right up. Say mine's the 5th. That's in two. Ah, <laughs> in two mine's the 17th. Like, oh, so there nice. January's a good January, month. January, baby. We got good this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see it through a child's eyes now, so I see it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it definitely changes you, but, it, but, it, but for the better, because now I see... I see how excited they get, but then it makes you think about when you were a kid. We used to be pretty darn excited, didn't we? Yeah. And then when we got to play on a nice field, we yeah. remember Whoa, it. We remember it. <laughs> yep. And you go play on a college field when you're in high school. You go do exactly all those things. Right, huh? I mean, it's how good is that? I mean, that's that should be the poster of our recruitment for everything, it, and it should be. You know? And that's right. And that's, um, I mean, and as data will data will provide the standard and the information to give us uh, the fulfillment from our ownerships. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just confident of that because all of a sudden we right now we can't, or, or before we couldn't quantify the job that we do. Now we can quantify the job that we do. Mm-hmm. That is going to continue to evolve and change our, our business. Mm. Um, but if the more we remember that we're in the memory making business, you're right. That's a really good, it's a really good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's what drives the passion for me is, I mean, even like just my high school, you know, like I have people who, I mean, I've had recruiters, I've had head coaches and colleges come down like, oh my gosh, this is rivals fields on our, like we've played on like, 
like things like that is just like whoa like okay like i thought we were pretty good but i didn't know it was that good you know so i mean it's it's something that when you look at a kid and you see it every single day and it's just another day at work and then you think about when you go to a game you're like it's a state semifinals right here like this is this is actually a big deal you know like i need (laughs) i need to understand that i just love managing fields it's just the the added pleasure of again making memories for kids you know and for professionals and all these different things like that's what it's all about so well that's why we get into it we get into it because we love doing it we don't get into it because we want to make a difference and you know a dent a dent in the universe yeah get into it because we love doing it but it's um, we have an opportunity to make a dent in the universe, and that's a that's a great thing to think that to think that we can have that much of an impact. But we can, and it's it it, it just continues to take us focusing on uh, understanding that evolution and innovation and change is not a bad thing, but a good thing. Absolutely, um, and I mean something that you talked about earlier that stuck with me was the fact that it's it's being able to have that impact and be able to show others what that impact truly is, you know, and the field work that you guys have done, the transitions you've done to Bermuda grass and all the things that you're just trying to improve upon each and every year is just something that people don't take into account when they're playing on the fields. They're just here to play. They're just here to play. That's, that's the part that I, I love about this podcast is being able to talk about things like that, where like behind the scenes, like this is what happened, but no one actually knew about it. One of my favorites was uh, Casey Carrick down at UNC with the uh, field renovation every single game because mm-hmm. they're landlocked and all that. And it's just things like that don't click in people's heads when they walk into the stadium for a game. No. Like it's it's just, all right, let's go have fun. Let's go watch That's the right, Tar Heels yeah. play. Like what? Like no, there was like – they resodded this field less than 24 hours ago and they painted everything and everything's ready to go for you and for what we're doing. So, I mean, that's, that's, what's incredible about everything. Um, now with a little bit of a shift to the MLS side of things, how did you get involved with them and with everything that you're doing? Uh, we talked about sort of the standards that you were creating, uh, for every pitch to make it again, different levels of what people are putting into it to create the same level across all the MLS. What has it been like for you sort of creating that standard and being a part of something that's going to have a huge impact for years to come? Well, it's, um, we're early on. That's for sure. sure. And we're learning. (laughs) We're learning. It's, uh, for, for, from a field surface testing standpoint, uh, this, this next season is the, is the first full season of a, of a required field surface testing program for the, for the league, that that's pretty that's pretty in depth um, when compared to some of the other field testing programs. But it's but it's it's a program that's been been utilized by several teams for a few years now. So that's one good thing is that so many MLS clubs are already doing a lot of this, uh, working with their sports science departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones that are pushing back because they don't want to lose that level of they've they've got that extra level of uh, of competitive advantage currently yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. we don't want we just want to just leave this out of it you know (laughs) exactly so we want to water a little bit more this match compared to the next (laughs) that's what what it comes down to yeah i mean that's really it's really what it comes down to is how do we how do we get a consistent surface every single time Mm um we're just it's just the infancy of being able to create that is it is it even possible i don't know that completely Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of smart people that are involved. Thankfully, uh, a lot of statisticians and 
and people that are really interested in what's going on, you know, from the medical and sports science side as well. Um, but it, every single conversation we have, it it's the same as we've been talking about. It gets that much more. We're like, wow, I didn't know this much went into this field thing. <laughs> like, I thought a grass field was a grass field. I didn't know there were actually different levels of organic matter or different levels of, you know, different levels of compaction or, and that's really what it comes down to is getting consistent surfaces. Um, and, 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 okay, we had a concert on Friday night. We got a match on Sunday. So how do we get that pitch ready mm-hmm. to be back to where it's supposed to? Exactly. Get back, get back to that, to the, maybe that standard. And, and that's where we're a long ways from actually honing in on those exact numbers. But, um, but it's definitely starting to, um, it's, it's it's picking up steam and it's it's something that's that's it's something that sports science wants to see it's something that that um that competition wants to see it's something that that field managers want to see because uh it's it's just something that's we just have so many events mm-hmm. there's so many events in these stadiums uh, especially in MLS stadiums there's yeah. just such a you know, nearly every MLS venue now has a has a professional women's team in it as well, or or, or some other other team as well. And with the concert load and man, they get built, growing. they keep they get built and they get used. And that's what it's about. They're going to build a building, they're going to use it. Yeah. And um, and that's that's good for it's job security for us. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And that's so. How do we continue to improve and and you know reduce injuries and and you know, have a, have a positive impact. We did, um, during the MLS's back tournament at, um, at Disney world in 2020 in the, in the bubble, the MLS bubble. Um, you know, we, we essentially, uh, at that, what at that point was the largest field surface testing program that had ever been administered in. And that was in one side. And that was, that was, uh, that holds the Guinness record for the single for the largest single site professional soccer tournament ever to be held. That's we had incredible. 26, 26 professional teams in one place for for seven weeks. So it was uh, apparently Disney was the place to be. Apparently for the bubbles. Yeah, yeah the NBA was there. <laughs> the same was time there we too, were there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we administered the largest field maintenance program that's ever been assembled. When it comes to, you know, we essentially had somebody working twenty four hours a day for. For seven field weeks, field to field to field. Yep, it was That's it crazy. was wild. And, That's incredible. But all based on data, all based on the amount of data that we collected. We were surface we were surface uh, testing twice a day. We were moisture testing three and four times a day. The amount of data that we collected, we really learned a lot. And and the league took all that data and utilized it. And um, and you know the the thought was during that event that the amount of Non-contact injuries was much lower than they expected it to be mm-hmm. because we were able to keep the fields consistent. Yeah. Did the fields have an impact on that? We don't know that for sure still. Yeah. I think so by what we hear from sports science. Um, but, you know, it really comes into now trying to encourage everyone in the industry to think about, okay, can you – let's make our practice field – the, the same, same condition yeah. as our game field, but the biggest problem we see now is is relates to you know some of the research that Chase that Chase did that Chase Straw did that you know we see the same thing from a testing standpoint that 
it's not just field to field. It's inside one field because the traffic pattern. It's different. One feet, the corner of the field statistically is very different than the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. So that's why we maintain the middle of our fields here differently than we do the outsides of our fields because we're just trying to get our middles to be consistent with the outsides of our fields. So it's not even a field to field. It's it's a field inside the field that you're maintaining differently. Gotta love that. And that's where that's what a lot of clubs have found success in lowering non-contact injuries mm-hmm. has been because the whole surface is consistent as opposed to being really hard in the middle, really soft in the outsides. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the biggest things that as an industry we need to do a better job of is showing the scientific side of what we do. You know, yeah. when we talk about people think that we're a labor industry, like this is actually part of our talk at SFMA is people think you're a labor industry. Like mm-hmm. when they actually notice who you are and see who you are, oh, you're just working on a field. It's manual labor. You're not doing anything else. Like, yeah, no, it's not that at all. It's it? not even close. <laughs> like my, my thing is like when you're talking about engineers, they all have their science behind what they're doing. Obviously it's a little bit more honed in on the fact that there's somebody else doing their science for them. Yep. We're the ones that do everything. We yep. do all of the labor, like you're saying, but we also have all the scientific background on how to, comprehend a certain area is different than most like uh travis in kansas city always bring up his fine fescue edition i'm like what what made you do that (laughs) like the shade issues like i would never think about that as a sports food manager it's just not in the sort of the the bylines of what normal practice is you know so things like that where like okay though throw those exactly we need 100 percent. that's exactly right like be your own person, test things. That's like, that's what what we want to do at Brentsville eventually is like be able to have that ability to test things in different sites and different scenarios, whether that's a lacrosse goal mouth, see if things we can do to prevent, again, obviously there's somewhere to the point where there's nothing left. Like that's just the way it is. Like maybe we can figure something out that's different. Maybe there's a way to do it. Exactly. So like we, I always say we can put a computer in our pocket and a man on the moon. Surely we can figure out a way to get a field to take more tra- more traffic. Exactly. Computer in your pocket, I like that. <laughs> you don't think about that often. I don't, I, I, it's funny, I bring it up a lot to my kids. I'm like, 10 years ago, there wasn't phones to look stuff up. Right. Like, like one, one thing that I always pride myself on with our classes is like, obviously the hands-on aspects with the scientific background when we... Right now, when we're coming inside, when we go over all the things that we've been doing with a science background, I try to explain the most I can while in the moment, but it gets a little hectic sure. and whatnot. But um, being able to have like the the understanding that hey, I'm not gonna make an exam, and again, colleges do this. Like I'm not gonna make an exam not open note because guess what? If you're managing a field, you can call someone up and say, hey, I need help with this, or you can look up on Google, hey, what is the cost of, I don't know, a specific chemical that I need or what is a better chemical for what I'm trying to do? Like there's no point of constricting what their resources are when they're not going to be constricted in the workplace. You know, like I think that's the, that's an interesting way. Like I'm not, and again, people think I'm stupid. Like they're not, they're going to learn like what you're trying to teach them. Like, yes, they will. Like I'm, I'm getting the basis is down on all of our, uh, cultural practice outside aerating top dressing all that they're learning all of these things hands-on like they know what's going on mm-hmm. so if i try and make them understand all the scientific aspects by heart as a high schooler like mm-hmm. you're gonna lose them that's where you start getting like the chaos and like oh my gosh i don't want to be in this class i don't want to do this anymore like yeah. guess what anybody can call anyone up and sure. 
again, the NFL groundskeepers do incredible work. Half of them have a paid byline of what chemicals they put out or a company telling them what to put out because that's what the, the team pays for. Obviously, plenty do it on their own, but like there are resources out there. Why would I not let my kids have resources when they're in an exam? Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's a, it's a collaborative thing. Yeah. I mean, that's how we all learn and work together and, and improve. And it's, um, what's, it's one thing we, we try to explain to people through our, our consulting consultancy and advisory services is that, uh, especially when it comes to owner's rep services that, Nobody can be the best at every single thing that they do. Mm-hmm. We don't do anything else but make high traffic grass fields better. Yeah, like that's the only business that. And explaining it in that in that way is just an example of like that's what that's what we do um, as fi- as field managers. But we don't know everything, and and collaborating with other people is important. It's it's. Because the good thing, the reason we can do things like you know, we can have these conversations and push the limits, and, and it's because grass breeders are coming up with new grasses. I mean, you and I have been Genetics. looking at you and I have been looking at different Bermuda grasses here earlier today to see the the realm of of where Bermuda grass has come since Patriot. Yeah, and we can have you know we we have more events on a field just by replacing and and changing the Bermuda grass to a newer variety of Bermuda grass, mm-hmm. we can have 15 or 20% more play yeah. because we have a tighter, more dense Bermuda grass surface than we had before. Or same thing with a company like somebody, you know, made such a technological marvel like SGL um, to, to come up with grow lights. I mean, that was, yeah. a, you know, they're, they're, they're about to cross several hundred Installations, say, you know, hundreds and hundreds. I at mean, most stadiums now. There's nothing. There, there hasn't been a more, at least in my opinion, a more influential technology than grow lights to be able to grow grass in the shade or or in the the, the shoulder seasons, you know, of, of late spring or early spring and late fall, even mm-hmm. in the winter. Yep. You know, C- Casey at, at, at Sporting Kansas City has is growing green is growing non-overseeded Bermuda grass in December. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, Travis is doing the same thing with, with undersoil heating and grow lights. I mean, it's like these. Those heating systems are a game changer. Absolutely. And it's, these are the kinds of technologies that if we don't collaborate, we don't learn and we don't, we, we don't find out about them because they don't feel, and I guess this is a word of advice too. Don't feel like you need to know everything about everything. Yeah. Like, we can, we can only do what we can do. Like we're already overworked. Yeah. So it's okay to trust outside people and collaborate. And so I, I like your, I wish I could have had a few open book tests in my time in school. Yeah. I would have hated school oh, yeah. a lot less. Yeah. It would have made it less <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, I mean like obviously there are certain things. So like when it comes to like safety tests, like I'm not giving you open note, you have to know those things in order to yeah. put you on the machines that we want to put you on. But it's just, there are so many things that like, we talk about making things more difficult on people. Like, why are we doing that? You know, mm-hmm. like that's what drives people away. Like we need to figure out ways to improve hours for sports field managers or improve pay. Like yeah. obviously there's, it's hard to do that when it comes to a grass field, it's always growing. It's always living. Like we yeah. have to tend to it, but like at the same time, we need to bring in the next group. Like you're saying, those mid levels that you can trust on site trust. Yep. that Give you can go away for a week, you know, that, 
it's just, it's something that, I mean, I've found to be, I mean, useful for kids that are interested in this, you know? Um, well, that's why we need, that's why we need young people interested in it. Yeah. Because we, then we have a new crop of young people that are a new crop of people into the industry that, that, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's, that, that's, that, I'm glad, I'm glad there are people that are interested. I'm, you know, and you, you mentioned earlier, like, it's so interesting how, or I, I love the response from a, a college coach or a, uh, a player or a parent when they get so excited to be like, wow, I didn't know that much went into this or wow, I didn't even know this existed mm-hmm. or wow. It's always, it's never like, ooh, <laughs> it's always amazement, yep. isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, it's so fun. Like to, to, I wish I could just bottle that feeling up yeah, every time you feel sure. it It's and hear it. And it's, there's, it's there's interest. There's yeah. interest. So we have recruitment nights for our programs, like kids who are in eighth grade who want to go to our high school can go to our high school for the turf program. So it's always like parents are like, man, I wish I had this in high school. This would be amazing. Like, <laughs> oh, know, right? man. I was like, I was like, now get your kid to take the class. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get close to it. But no, right. like, again, like the, the big thing is like, you were talking about those conversations that you have with people who don't know all the stuff behind what we do. It's funny to me how ridiculous some of those conversations can be. <laughs> it's like the level of like what we normally are at, like, oh, I know there's like stuff you do, but I didn't really know. And then there's those that are like, oh, I just thought the field was ready. You know, like, I don't know what you're talking about field manager. Yeah, exactly. Once a week, you know, like, nope. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. But, you know, it's always, it's fun to see. I mean, my biggest thing is kids that really buy in and then really get good. So I have a student, she graduated oh, three years ago now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but she she's interned with uh, the Steelers. I don't know if this is official yet, but she's heading somewhere next year, hopefully in the MLS, which is really cool. Um, that again, if she's like, listening and she wants to work here. <laughs> I'm constantly recruiting. I will, I will I'll let her know. Constantly I'll let her know. Um, <laughs> any other kids that want to drive That's an hour commute, you know? <laughs> yeah, <an> hour. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to pick the right time of day, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're flexible. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Come in at 10, leave at like okay. seven. But no, like just what her story is and like where she like found it. Like she ran into me at a, a uh, ice cream stand, her and her boyfriend when she was a sophomore in high school said, Hey, can I take your class? And, now she's in her third year in the turf program at Tech, right. and it's like, what happened to get there, you right. know? So, uh, and then like kids now, there are a couple of kids now that I they went down to Charlotte, and then like they're like fully engulfed in it, and they're like in love, and that's that's why I do what I do. That's what's kept me there for six years, you know. So, but it's always changing. So. Now I've kept you a long time, so I'm I'm gonna descend towards the end of what we normally do. Um, We normally end on these last two questions because it's always something interesting to see from different walks of the industry and what you've been through in your career. And I I'm skipping things I want to talk about, but um, what is it that if there was one thing you wish you knew, and it doesn't have to make life easier, better, or whatever, but you wish you knew going into the industry, what would that one thing be, and why? Oh wow, that's a good question. Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> I like it. Most people that know me, it's hard to keep me from talking, so they actually get me to think. And 
Apparently, I'm good at this. I think I went into the industry with a pretty open mind, and I think that's what's made me a little bit. I've always kind of been different, or always kind of been been a, been a little. So I, I think having an open mind was was important. I didn't have a lot of preconceived ideas because I didn't even know it existed mm-hmm. when I got to start it. Um, but um, I think one thing uh, probably would be to not be so trustworthy of, or at least no, not trustworthy, but not to lock in my mind to be like the first way I learned to grow grass doesn't need to be the only way. Gotcha. It's an evolving thing. It's like picking up information all the time. Like, like I remember, I remember as a, as a, in my first job as a, as a head director of grounds for sporting Kansas city, I, I, you know, I, I, one day I heard myself saying to one of the guys that, that works for, for me that, you know, we like to maintain the field tight, fast. And and the guy looks at me and he's like, well, is that what the coach wants? Yeah. And like, what a humbling question. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. You're right. We need to figure out what the coach wants. <laughs> it's like because I'm, you know, we we were kind of, you know, nece- you know, maybe maybe the old school way would have been to condition to say, well, coach, this is the way the field is. Mm-hmm. Instead, to shift my thinking to be like, you know what, coach, what can we do for you? What can we do for the team? What do you expect? Mm-hmm. What sort of service do you want to play on? So, so the way we go into it, and and so the way I went into it was a lot different than the way I came out of it. And I would say that would be the I'd say that would be the the biggest thing for me is that don't just like this is the way I grow grass and this is these are the things that I use because like I said even today I mean I've learned more about growing grass in the last three years and I've learned my entire career just from what data's taught us mm-hmm. and it's very humbling I mean so it's, it, it's yeah it's it's that kind of thing of of not just being locked in on one thing and keeping an open mind. I mean, it's, there's truly, I mean, when you talk about all the technological advancements we've had and the sensors you have on your fields and all of these things that you don't take into account, like, Oh, I'm missing the ball on this point in my soil. I'm missing this point in my plant tissue. Like what is the, what is the equation? There isn't. And I think we've definitely established that here is like you have to find out what works for your site because there are microclimates on your fields. You're saying the field within the field, like, and you have 24 multiply that by whatever that is inside your fields. You know, like it's just, there are so many different ways things can go wrong that you need to sort of bring back into that equation to make sure it goes right. You know? So it's truly incredible. And that's what I've, I mean, part of this podcast is hearing all the different stories and understanding like what they are going through could possibly happen to me at my facility at a high school level, you know? So it's, it is, it's awesome to hear the different aspects that go into managing any type of field, anywhere you are, you know? Well, it's making the the broad scheme of things. One, it, it might sound terrifying like all this data. <laughs> it's not it makes things easier yeah like that's you're yeah. not writing a thesis like my idiot ass is <laughs> <laughs> well and I, somebody made a comment i mean i'm glad you said that because somebody made a comment one day it's like oh we all need to be phd groundskeepers no we don't the, the data and technology 
data and technology nice and that's in an iPhone yeah. is really simple. It's it's a closed system. It's really simple. Like the data and technology that we're using isn't complicated. It's making our job it's it's making our job easier. Definitely. We're stop we're not guessing as much anymore. We're not using our intuition as much. We're actually using a data point. It's making our job easier. For sure. Uh, it's not something to be scared of. Um, because I, I think we've we have talked about a lot of, of data technology today, and that's um, those sensors that we have in our on our fields. I, I know what the temperature is under a grow cover. I'd love I know, to know that. <laughs> I, 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 I know what the soil temperature is right now on ten yeah. different fields. Like I don't have to just guess about it. Like I, like we that's how we decided when you saw we haven't covered everything yet because Mother Nature didn't allow us to. We didn't start. But we didn't start until our soil temperature got below a certain threshold For sure. because I wanted to make sure the Bermuda was completely dormant. Yeah. Once we got below that threshold, we could have put the covers on earlier. Yeah. But then this cold that we had the last would have been few actively growing under there and would have hurt it. Yeah. Would have hurt that Bermuda. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it freaking transition sounds. <laughs> uh, nine people deg- don't know what we go through. Nine, nine <laughs> degrees on. Nine degrees one Saturday, sixty degrees the next Saturday. I mean, yeah, I saw and, that uh, the other day. I was like, "Wait, what? Well, what? I thought this was the winter now." Yeah, exactly. So. so, no, for sure. So, what? What's question number two? Is it as hard as number one? <laughs> no, God, no, 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 no. I hope not. <laughs> so, you and I again, we have a passion for sort of bringing in that next generation and that next group that's going to take on again the sports field industry and I mean, make what it's going to be next. You know. Uh, like you said, we've sort of gone through a transition from sort of the old guard into the new group. That's again, there are so many things they have going on, like with the science and everything that wasn't there 10 years ago, even, Mm -hmm. um, for the kids in my classes. So who are interested and want to go maybe to some of your apprentices, what would be your best words of advice, sort of taking that next step into this industry and having an impact on where their journey might take them in the industry? Oh, I'm going to piggyback on my last answer. Open mind. Have an open mind because it's – and don't just accept something that someone tells you because um, there's there's a lot of people that like to put things in a box or or put rules or parameters around different things. Don't accept it. You know, continue to search it out for yourself and and continue to to evolve and and improve and, and innovate and create. And let your let human nature take over and say, "Hey, how how can I make this better? How can I how can we continue to improve this field?" I mean, that's that's one big takeaway is that when or one big one big turning point for me is when you know people would say, "Okay, a grass field can take X number of hours." Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if the grass field starts to fail at X number of hours. Why do I accept it and say, okay, that's how it is, instead of saying, why don't I change my maintenance approach to figure out how I can get more hours out get of that X field? further away. Exactly. So not just accepting. And I, and I had somebody, somebody I respect a lot, um, said to me one time that, you know, someday you'll just accept that the way things are is okay, and, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll see that things aren't things aren't so bad the way they are. And like, well. I lost a lot of respect for that person when they said yeah. to me because it was like, why wouldn't I, you? Want better? I, why? Why not continue to improve? Technology and science change every. It's not that what we were doing before was wrong. Yeah, 
we were doing a damn good job with a, with a very small amount of information. Now, in this day and age, we have a whole lot of information, and we're able to do that much better of a job. We're just in, all we're doing is building on what came from in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we wouldn't be here without what's happened in the way we did it in the past. We wouldn't be to this point, Absolutely. but we just continue. So I, I would encourage I would encourage them to just continue to keep an open mind and not not accept the status quo and just continue to build and 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 evolve and improve because we sky's the limit. I mean, it's it's cliche to say it, but again, we're in 66 years, we went from the Wright brothers flying a plane on the beach in North yeah. Carolina to to, a, to going to the moon. It only took 66 years to go to the moon after the first plane. And an iPhone, a first digital computer was some somewhere around 1941. And then you put an iPhone in your pocket as a computer in your pocket. You know, it was ironically, it was 67 years later mm-hmm. that the iPhone came out. So it's like that kind of innovation... I mean, they, they, you know, in business, they have this term, this moon, moonshot. Take mm-hmm. your moonshot. What is, what are you really evolving and longing for? Mm-hmm. You know, don't accept the status quo ever and just continue to shoot for the moon because that's how we all, as you do it, and it will bring all of us around you up as well. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what some of these young people will do. Absolutely. And, and I God, think- that makes me sound old. No, no, no. Well, I I was reading something the other day on the SFMA website about how SFMA, I think it's like 40 years old now, right? Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. But, like, it hasn't been around for that long. So, like, when you're talking about, like, having a voice for the native natural, sorry, not native, so uh, natural grass services, like, there's plenty of time to sort of switch that, you know, since mm-hmm. it's only been 40 years. And really, when we look at it at face value, like, Everyone in the world is going against the artificial, except for the people that are selling it. So, yeah, except for the three hundred million dollar in, or or two point uh, two point two billion again, it's, dollar industry. It's something that it is. to deal with the the plastic and the rubber, and yep. it's not just the field aspect. It's just like the people that produce plastics and rubbers so are like, why would we want to lose that much money? Yep. Yes, yeah. and then the environmental standpoint afterwards, oof, you know. <laughs> I forget who I was talking to. That was also in that letter I was talking about. The recycling of it costs as much as you paying sure. for it. And I think talked to Nick Pappas. He said that there is this plant now in California that does it. I'm like, great. The rest of the East Coast can't afford to ship mm-hmm. an entire field across the entire country, you know? Yeah. So, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, as, as we said, the more, the more good quality grass fields that we have and the more people that know about good quality – the possibilities of grass, the less I think we'll have to deal with it. And I think the other, like you've said multiple times, it's places like here and places like the Sports Turf Academy in Leicester City and programs like mine where it goes from the ground up, you know, generation to generation. So, yeah, you know, how was the Sports Turf Academy? That was the one thing I didn't want to talk about. I didn't talk about it. Oh, it's incredible. It's John, crazy. John and, Doth- and Dr. Knowles both are just they're incredible human beings. Yeah. Um, I mean, to see a facility that size – dedicated to training and but also just the level of detail and we we talked about it briefly the level of detail that that John likes to work to um 
I mean, it's. I mean, he's going to make me feel like an idiot. as well. I mean, I'm hoping to go over at some point here in the future. Well, that's what we're working on. A uh, we're working on an exchange program for some of our guys to go, some of our people to go over there, and for some of our people to come over here. That'd be incredible. Because I want them exposed. I want people to be exposed to to that level of detail. Because once you see it, then you start to buy into it. So Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's a it's a must. Somebody said to me the other day on social media that. because uh, I I post a lot of things on my on my Instagram and um you know, oh you're really lucky to get to, to get to go to these places and do these things and like there's do it I mean so, you you made the joke earlier about when when Danny invited you down to Charlotte and you're like oh don't don't threaten me uh, or don't invite me because I'll come <laughs> yeah. that's one of those things don't I mean the the field managers across the world are really open. Really open oh, to have yeah. visitors. So that's another just recruiting do it. point. Just do it's it. Just the Thank people in this industry are incredible. I mean, like we're two hours into this, <laughs> so like I mean, just wanting to be around people that are same of mind. You know, just being able to have these conversations and have the support. I mean, we talked about the field renovation for like an hour before we even got out of the door. You know, so like there are so many things that so many people are going through that we love to talk about to each other and figure out together. You know, so. Well, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this has been incredible, and it's, I've had a yeah, blast. Thanks. So, yeah, yeah so. cool. I'm cool. I enjoyed it as well. So, thank you very much. Yeah, of course.